Today we're starting off with an important question in this sermon series. An important question. And of course, as you know, where do you think that important question is going to lead us? To the cross, Jesus, yes. Did somebody say to an answer? Is that... I thought the right answer, okay, good. Let's start off by talking about one of the right answers. How about the most significant figure in history? For you, who would be the most significant figure in history? Jesus, okay. That's a good guess, good answer. In fact, in, in about 2013, Time did a, did a poll, and they came up with this. Looked back, found this article here. Who the, who's the biggest? The 100 most significant figures in history. And who do you think they had at the top of that list? Yeah. Jesus. See that? Jesus, Napoleon, Muhammad, William Shakespeare, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Number seven is pretty good, yeah. Everybody see number seven? Wow. Really? What? Yeah, Robert Hinton. I think that's pretty amazing, but, you know, number seven, number seven was Adolf Hitler, so I don't think it's a big, you know, so, yeah, I took him out of the list, put myself in there. 100 most significant figures in history, and even among unchurched people, after the big poll through time, Jesus comes out on top. Pretty interesting. Jesus comes out on top in a lot of things. In fact, the world latches on to a lot of things that Jesus says and does and may not even know it. How many times have you seen people talk or heard people talk about the golden rule? You know? And a lot of people live by the golden rule. They do what they want you to they do what you to you what they want done to them. You know? But they don't they don't recognize that's that's the teaching of Jesus. How many have heard something about, you know, don't worry about tomorrow? Yeah. Just today's got enough problems of its own. You know, so things, things in this world get used by the worldly people, and, and some of it has to do with Jesus himself, but don't even know it. He has had an impact in this world, even in people that don't believe him. But the question I'm going to ask you today is, do you really know him? The world doesn't know him, the world in general. And at one point in our lives, we don't, didn't know him. I wonder, how much do you know about him? Really? That's an important question. How much do you know? What do you know about Jesus? Because a lot of people, I think, in the world at least, this is the answer. I don't know. It boggles them. Right? Jesus boggles the world. Jesus boggled his world at the time. There's no reason why he wouldn't boggle our world today. I don't know. A lot of people will answer that. What do you know about Jesus? I don't know. I know he's maybe a good man. I know he was a historical figure. Maybe. Some people might say, I don't know if he's even a historical figure. Maybe you all made him up. I don't know. You get a lot of different answers if you ask people, what do you know about Jesus of Nazareth? A lot of different answers. Here's where, you know, again, it ties kind of back into class. If you're going to ask somebody, what do you know about Jesus? That's going to get you into the discussion about who you think your Savior is. That's going to get you into a discussion about who Jesus is. What do you know about Jesus? There's a discussion, there, there's confusion in the world, but I wonder if there's even confusion in our body about who Jesus is. 
Our sister brought up this morning in class about we're really good at, at patterns, at saying, do these five steps and, you, and you're good. But do we really know the man, Jesus Christ? Do we really understand who he is? Maybe we think we got all our ducks in a row because we've dotted our I's and I crossed our T's and we've got the hear, believe, got all of this stuff. I'm, I'm good. But do I really know Jesus? Do I know the one that I'm being baptized into? Do I know the man himself? That's an important question, not just for the world, but for us. Like my brother Bill brought up this morning, it's not a pattern. There is, there is a pattern, sure. There, there's patterns. Jesus left a pattern. You can look at the lives. Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words. Okay, but... What are we really following? The pattern of sound words leads us to Jesus Christ. The Word Himself. Exactly. That's who we follow. That's what we pattern our lives after is Jesus Himself. If we pattern our lives after Jesus, what else do we got to worry about? We don't really have anything else to worry about. We got our lives patterned by Jesus Christ. How much do we know it? I often wonder... Because sometimes we, we talk about Solomon, you know, the wisest, dumbest man in the Bible. He was wise, but he was also kind of dumb. Like us. <laughs> we can be wise, but man, we can be, we can be dumb sometimes. I have been dumb in my life. And I probably will be dumb in the future. I'm just a normal human being. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your participation here in these, these four sermons. I'm going to have a little more participation maybe not that much participation but but between you and I I want to ask you a question here here is a question for you okay the first question I have for you is this what are some common misconceptions that you have heard personally what you have heard about Jesus from friends from family from co-workers maybe you've read it on the internet maybe you've heard it on TV wherever you've heard it I'm going to give us about 30 seconds if this thing works. Sometimes the, the video crashes my stuff. But we have about 30 seconds. I want to hear from you some common misconceptions that you've heard about Jesus. He was just a man. He was just a man, okay? He was a prophet. Just a prophet, okay? Just a man, just a prophet. Anybody else? He was our messenger. Okay. All right. He is our messenger, that's for sure. That's for sure. What's that? He was a radical? Okay. Some of those might be true. All you have to do is accept him in your heart. Okay. He's a good man. He's a prophet. He, just accept him in your heart. There's a lot of stuff you can hear about Jesus. He's a fairy tale. Yeah, I've heard that too. Not really a historical. Not really real. You made him up. Yeah, I've heard that too. Common misconceptions about Jesus Christ. Well, those common misconceptions are wrong, right? We believe they're wrong. C.S. Lewis wrote a whole big quote about if, if he's lying, then what is he? He's a lunatic. He's either a liar or a lunatic. I mean, one or the other. If he's real, I think he's real, and I think there's good historical proof for him being real. So if he is a historical figure, if he says, I am the son of the living God, if he makes these claims that I am Jesus Christ, you need to be immersed into me. I am the one that's coming. I am... Like John read this morning from John chapter 6, that hard teaching saying, I am the manna coming down from heaven. I'm the one that you need to be eating. I'm the one that you need to fill your life with. If he said that and he's a liar, why are we sitting here this morning? 
Because if he's lying about that, he is a lunatic. And he died for nothing. That's just, we're wasting our time here this morning. Our faith is in vain. Like Paul says, we're men most to be pitied. If he didn't die and rise again, if, if he's not who he says he is, then we are wasting our time. Preaching is in vain. Everything's in vain. You know, if, if, if he's not who he says he is, we might as well just go home and watch some football. But I believe he is. I believe there's good solid proof that he is. Jesus is the key to everything. He's the absolute key to everything. I want to share with you just a couple of facts and figures about our country, our world, as we live in it, close to right about now. I, I try to get as, as close to up-to-date facts as I possibly could. This one might be kind of hard, a little hard for you to understand. So I figured out yesterday how to, and of course it's not going to work today. Why, why would I ever think it would work when I need it to work? Silly me. Anyway, um, yeah, Murphy's Law is, is, is alive and well, too. That's right. Okay, well, this one here, even though I can't do it today, says, it says, when he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. And it polled these people and asked them, do you think that Jesus was a human being and that he sinned on earth? Well, I, I know what you guys believe, but this is what, this is what the, the mini, millennials, some adults, some Gen Xers, and some boomers believe the uh, the green there, the darker green, is agree strongly, and 24% of all adults said, "Yeah, we believe he sinned while he was on the earth." Millennials, 21%; Gen Xers, 23; Boomers, 24; and Elders, 26%. It surprised me that the Elders group was 26% of the Elders group says, "Yeah, he committed sins while he was on the earth." <laughs> See, <laughs> oh man, you're gonna get yourself into trouble. Anyway, that, that, that's kind of a cross-section of America. 26% of the elder group, 23, 21% of millennials. Yeah, Jesus sinned while he was on the earth. Interesting view of Jesus. Have you made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in your life today? This question for all the adults. Adults, 62% of all of them said yes. 56% of males said yes, and 68%. It didn't surprise me that females made more of a commitment to Jesus than males. It seems to kind of go that way a lot of times. Generation, millennials, 46% say they do. Elders, 71%. Here they're stronger, obviously. Boomers, 65%. And Gen Xers, 59%. Breaks down into ethnicity as well, and then income as well. It's, it's interesting that not all people say, I've made a personal commitment to him. And these are people, this poll is from people that say, I believe in Jesus. This is from purported Christians that say, I... He's still important to me today. You think that would be 100%, right? If I say I'm a Christian, then Jesus must be important to me. But 71% of elders say, yeah, he's important to me. What happened to the other percent of elders there? <laughs> Here's how Americans practice their faith as of 2016 of April. Closest I could get. 48% post-Christian, 31% practicing Christians, and 41% non-practicing Christians. I'm not sure what non-practicing Christians are, but that's what they say they are. They're non-practicing Christians, 41% of America. How Americans express their faith. They pray to God, 75% of us pray to God. Attend service, 35%. Read the Bible, 34%. Volunteer at a non-profit, 19%. Volunteer at church, 18%. Now, I know that's true. 
<laughs> That's always true, no matter where you go, right? It seems like you've you, you got to fight for people to, to get there and volunteer. Attend Sunday school. Now, I know this one's true, too. 17%. Attend small groups, 16%. That surprised me a little, too. The, the small group surprised me simply because I've been reading a lot about how it's trending to go back to smaller groups. We've gone to, you know, to the big groups and the mega churches, and then it's kind of going shifting and, and swinging back to the smaller groups. Maybe this will pick up once that trend starts to pick up, but it's interesting. A lot of people are going to smaller groups rather than bigger things. American church attendance here, 46% attend a church of 100 or fewer attendees, 46%. 37% have 101 to 49 attendees, and it gets smaller up to, you, know, you notice how it gets smaller and smaller. 8% only go to, to 1,000 people or more. I, I think it is trending to where you're, you're getting smaller smaller groups over America. That'll probably be a, a trend for a little while until it goes back the other way. Oops. This last one here. How Christian or Americans, excuse me, affiliate. 73% of us Americans, quote unquote, identify as Christian. 73%. That's a big number for a country. That's a big number. And I wonder if that's part of our problem too as a country. We hang our hat on the fact that we are this quote-unquote Christian nation. Undoubtedly, we, we've had some Christian principles and some things, some godly principles in the founding of this country. But a lot of times I think my hat has been hung on that post and I've identified more as an American Christian rather than just Christian, period. And letting even country get in the way sometimes of my knowing this man, Jesus Christ. Nothing should get in the way of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't care what country you're from, Amen. what part of the world we're, we're at. We can all know Jesus Christ. It's not an American thing. It's not an ethnic thing. It's a Jesus thing, and that's open to everybody. Amen. The question this morning is, how well do you know Jesus Christ? As a country, we say we know him 73% know him. I'm not so sure that 73% really know him. And I know I haven't really known him in my life. I'm still getting to know him. I'm going to be getting to know him for the rest of my life. My second question for you here, again, is the audience participation part, okay? What are some reasons people don't go to, quote-unquote, church anymore? Tell me why you've heard, what you've heard. Maybe it's your excuse at one point, why you didn't go, or why somebody else doesn't go to church anymore. Full of hypocrites. What did you say? Sunday's my only day of rest. No interest. That's true, too. No interest. Hypocrites. Don't like people. Working. Yes, definitely. That can be a... What? I can worship on my own. I don't have to go to, to church. All they want is my money. Yeah, that's, that's a good one, too. Judgmental. Sports. Yeah. <laughs> the messages are too long. Carl, Carl, Carl. It's always... <laughs> they don't get anything out of it. There you go. Okay. Those are all good answers. I mean, that, I, I've, I've even used some of those before, myself. I've used some of those answers. I'm, maybe you have used some of those answers. And I know you've heard them from other people. 
Those aren't really good answers, but they're answers. They weren't good when I used them, but they're answers. But let me suggest one that they all have in common. All of those answers have in common. Why people don't do this very often, or why people don't get to know Jesus, the real Jesus, the man. This is the reason I want you to think about and, and maybe just let stew in your, in your head this week, okay? If, if you're going to write anything down, write this down and think about this reason. They can. Because they can. They can. We're going to get back to they can later on in this lesson, but I think that's an important point there. God, Jesus, they let us decide. They say, come to me, you who are weary. But they also say, if you do not, you can walk away. They can. We can. We can decide not to come. We can decide to say, Jesus, I don't think you are who you say you are. He's not going to twist our arms. He's not going to make you do what you don't believe. Which is pretty interesting. I mean, he's the Almighty. He could if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He says, I want you to love me out of your own free will. I want you to make the decision to come see me. I'm not going to do it for you. That John, 6, that John 6 text, if you want to turn over there really quick, John 6, I think there's some interesting things in there about the they can reason. Because I don't think the reasons really have changed, even though times have changed, because human beings at our core are pretty much the same in our thinking, in our reasoning, all of the stuff, as they were back then. Similar things, similar reasons, maybe different times, but similar reasons. You notice the text that John read to us, I'm going to start around 61 and just comment. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. But 61 is where the disciples are grumbling. He's conscious about the disciples grumbling. He understands, he's, he, he gets it that this teaching is hard. And he understands, he knows that they are having trouble with it. And so he says, what then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Now, that's interesting how Jesus takes the conversation. He doesn't go... He doesn't go down. He actually goes up, and he makes it even tougher. This is, not a, this is not easier here, Jesus. They're already struggling with this stuff. Why are you going even harder here? It's, I wonder if he's kind of, you know, shift, sifting the wheat here. He's, he's, he's finding out who really wants to follow me. Who's really ready to, to invest in, and investigate? He's having a spiritual conversation here with them. Verse 63, he says, if it's the spirit, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. They can. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. They might be afraid. I, I, I've tried to, to understand what the disciples here that, that say, this is too hard for me. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're genuinely confused. Maybe he's not stacking up to what you thought this Messiah would be, which is where the disciples often fit, too. He's not exactly what we thought he would be. He's not coming here to overthrow Rome. We thought we'd be ruling like David again. 
We thought the kingdom would be back in all its splendor and glory. What's going on here? Maybe they're confused. Maybe they just, just don't understand, and it's just way too much for them. Okay, maybe that's true. But I love what Peter says. I love what, by implication, the other disciples are at least willing to go along with. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? When Jesus says, you're not going to leave me too, are you? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is some pretty profound statements from, uh, from Peter here. And by implication, some of the other disciples must have, because he's, he's using we. To whom shall we go? We have believed. He's echoing at least some of the beliefs of the other disciples who are staying here. But I love what he says. I also love what he doesn't say because Peter doesn't say, Lord, I completely understand what you're telling us. I got it. I understand what you're saying when you say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I don't know what their problem is. I got it. He doesn't say that, does he? He's still struggling with it too. I'll bet you he's still thinking, I don't think I quite get that. But... I know something deeper than that. I know something bigger than that, that this Jesus has the words of eternal life. Even if I don't completely understand what he's telling me right now, I know who I need to follow. I know who I need to listen to. That tells me about something about Peter. He's saying that you have captured my heart. We've talked about the heart a lot, and, and Bill has talked a lot about the heart a lot in his class. This morning, again, he talked about the heart. But Jesus has to be in here. Real in here. How many of us are, are, are not real with him in here? Peter's saying, you are real here to me. I don't understand everything you're saying. But you're real here. And I know nobody else has the words that are going to give me eternal life. I'm going to follow you. Peter's telling Jesus, you have our hearts. We want to understand more. But you have my heart, Jesus. Jesus and Peter are sitting there heart and heart, even though Peter says, I don't quite get it. Even if Peter wanted to leave, he says, I can't leave. I know who is real. I know who is true. That's you. And that's the big problem, I think, with uh, our world and even with, with us, and it has been with me in my life, that... I don't know the heart of Jesus. I haven't had Jesus' heart capture mine and my heart capture his. I haven't been where Peter is standing right now saying, even though I don't quite get it, I know you're right. I know you're true. I know you have the words that lead to eternal life. And even though I don't understand completely, you have my heart. You have my heart and I have yours. And that's where I was agreeing with, again, sitting in the back, I was agreeing with my sister here thinking, you know, I've had a, a head understanding in the past. But I didn't have the heart understanding in the past. And I'm working on the heart understanding. The head understanding, yes, it has to be there. I have to, I have to understand. But oftentimes I've stopped there with the intellectual understanding, the intellectual assent here to, yes, Jesus is Lord. And we follow those things and we're, we're good to go. But no, Jesus is Lord, and he wants your heart. 73% of, the, of America say they ha Jesus has their heart. 
73% of America is not really in the heart of Jesus. And the rest of that percent is completely missing the man, completely missing his heart. It's not a heart understanding that they have. That's part of that important question is, do we have a heart understanding? Because when Jesus talked about discipleship, he talked about it in botanical terms. He talked about being the vine. He talked about being on the vine. He talked about being grafted in. We are grafted into this vine. In fact, uh, in John chapter five, uh, 15, 1 through 10, 1 through some. Uh, in fact, let's go over there really quick since I'm in John 6 anyway. John 15, he talks about being the vine. Yeah, 1 through 11, really. Actually, you could go, you could go even beyond 11, but. For, for the purpose of, of this morning, 1 through 11 is, is, is where Jesus is discussing this botanical terms of you, you abide in me. You have life in me. And I think that's, that's part of what Peter understands in John 6 is there's life in you. Even though I don't understand exactly what you're saying to me, there's life here. And I know where life is coming from. It's coming from you. Every branch in me, in verse 2, that does not bear fruit, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. That verse 10 there about keeping his commandments is exactly what Bill was saying this morning with immersion. When we talk about immersion, we're talking about if you love him, if he's got your heart, if, if, you, if you believe that you've, you've sinned and you can't get there on your own, then you obey the commandment to be immersed. Washes away your sins. It unites him with you and you with him. It's all part and parcel here of what Jesus is saying. In me is, is, vine, is the vine. In me is you bear fruit. I've got one more video that, that uh, Ron is going to have to start from the back there. And it, and it deals with this botanical idea that Jesus is talking about in John 15. I want you to watch it. Hopefully you can hear it well enough. If we, if we can't hear it, we'll have to start over. Because I want to ask you for some quick, another participation part. As you're watching this, think of some metaphors that you could use when you hear this. He's going to give you some. But I, I want you to think of some, some ways that you could say... This is what it's like to be in Jesus. When, when we're doing what Bill's talking about this morning, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, in whatever way we're saying it, say this is what it's like to be in Jesus. In botanical terms, like John 15, this is what it's like. Go ahead, Ron, if you got it. Hey, this is Doug Hershey with the, uh, Ezra Adventures. I wanted to show you uh, about the olive tree and being grafted in. We're under an olive tree right now. We're helping out some, uh, some Arab landowners with clearing some land and getting ready for the olive harvest. But this is uh, an olive tree here. <clears throat> As you can see, it has a, it's a much older root. And what this is here is an is a olive branch that is grafted in. 
Now, on its own, if you plant an olive uh, tree and wait for its produce, you're, you're waiting a minimum of 10 to 12 years. If you take a wild olive and graft it into a much stronger root that's probably already uh, disease resistant, uh, if it's been cared for, disease and insect resistant as, as well as um, drought resistant with its root system, you can begin producing fruit within two to three years with a, with a new olive grafted in, a new olive branch. Now the new olive branches, <coughs> they come out of, out, of, uh, out of the ground nearby. You can see right here where, where these olive branches are coming out. Now the interesting thing here is if you can see how thick this branch is, we could follow this branch out all the way out and you would find that there's no olives that are growing on it because it's not connected to the, the root structure or the, the, the trunk structure. Now, on, on, the, uh, on the opposite end here, what, what you find is this is one that's grafted in and look at the small little twig that's growing out and it already has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven olives, eight olives that are already being produced. So something this large, this huge branch has nothing on it. This tiny little twig has eight pieces of fruit on it simply because it's been grafted in. Okay, so tell me some, some metaphors. What would you say? How is, how is this like being in Jesus? Anybody see anything? Pick up anything? Grafted in, yeah. Production. Production. When you're in Jesus, yeah, that fruit comes not because you're, you're this, this vine on the ground here that's not producing any fruit. You're attached to the non-diseased, yes, the Spirit's in you and, and you're in Him and you're attached to that root, that, that tree that is disease-resistant, drought-resistant. He's disease and drought-resistant and, and we're grafted into Him who can withstand all of that, and he allows us to bear fruit through him. On our own, we're not disease-resistant, we're not drought-resistant, and we don't bear fruit. In him, we do. Did I see your hand up back there? I was just going to say, small is mighty. So it says, you know, it just takes one person to change the world. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that small little, little vine had nine or eight pieces of fruit on it. And that one on the ground, nothing on it because it wasn't attached to the tree. Yeah, so it's, it, there's a lot of, when you, when you look at things like that and you see Jesus describing growth and, and, and this in botanical terms here, you need to be in me. Outside of me, you're not going to bear fruit. Outside of me, you're going to be subject to all this disease and this drought. In me, I can take care of you. But you have to be in me. Do you want to say something, Carl? Solid, yeah. Solid foundation. Yeah, the disease-ridden, drought-ridden, drought-proof foundation that's not going to be easily torn down. This, this is solid. You're in Jesus. He has your heart, and you have his. Yes, Craig. Okay. Yeah, it's above. It's not there down there on the ground. Did you want to say something, Bill? Yes. Yes, that life from that tree flows into that, that branch, that, that branch that's producing fruit. And his life flows into us, producing fruit through us. Without us, or excuse me, without him, we don't have that life flowing into us. We're not producing what he could, he could be producing through us. They can. They can leave. They just can. 
And they will. And Jesus knows they will. God knows they will. Broad is the way. Narrow is the way. Right? There's two paths. The lights aren't always bright on broad streets. Sometimes they're very dim. In this, in this case, the lights are bright on the narrow way. The broad street is dark. But there is, there is a broad way. And there will be people that leave. Sin is the killer in this country. Sin is the killer in this world. And Jesus is the cure. But they can leave. And I, I, for just the sake of the argument here, I want to give you the rich young ruler, right? A rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're a liar. You're not, you're not, no. He's, he just says, okay, let me ask you to do this for me. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler walks away. You got to imagine Jesus as it says, I think his heart is breaking. Those things stand in the way between you and me. It's the same for us today. What stands in your way to be more in the heart of Jesus? What has he said to you? Look, Jarrett, you need to give this up. Look, Art, this is what's standing in the way between you and me. Yeah, I, I've got something in my life. I'm sure you've got something in your life that you could say, yeah, I could, I could get rid of that a little more and put more Jesus into my life. I could be closer to his heart if I start doing this more often rather than this. Even if it's something innocuous, like even just TV time or video game time or something innocuous. I could still be more in the heart of Jesus if I gave up this or if I trimmed down this. The rich young ruler couldn't spare that room in his heart. And I like Romans 1 for this, this case too. Turn over to Romans 1 really quick. It'll be the last uh, verse we go to here. Romans 1, where Paul is discussing this, this descent into madness, really that human beings go through from 21 on down to the end of that chapter in 32, you know, ending with they, they just have a blatant disregard for, for God's law. Human beings can be, become so corrupt because we exchange what he says, you know, the, the corruptible for the, or the, the incorruptible for the corruptible and all of these things. We start worshiping the creature rather than the creator. We can, we can get so big in our minds thinking that we're all this, and we can exchange all of that for the lie that, that God is something that he's not. But I like what he says in these, in these verses, when, like in verse 26. Look at that one. He's, my my uh, text says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. I like the statement, God gave them over. God says, okay, you can go do that. It doesn't say God just wrote them off completely. In fact, I think if they decide, you know what? This is wrong. I need to get my life right. I'm wrong. I need to get my life right. And I can't do it by myself. I need you, God. God's going to say, come on. Come back. God gave them over, but he didn't give them up. God gives you over. He will let you go and do what you want to do. But when you reach that point like the uh, prodigal son reached, and he says, oh, man, I've been an idiot. He comes to his senses, right. And he finally says, I'd rather be a slave in my father's house than here. When you, when you reach that point, Jesus says, come on. God says, come on. I've been waiting for you. Come on back. No more sin. Come on back to me. I can take care of that problem. I can help you. That's this question here. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Who do you say? When Peter's asked that question, he says, I believe you are the son of the living God, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He says, who do other people say that I am? They give him a list of other people. Who do you say that I am? The world will give you the prophet. They'll give you a good guy. They'll give you all these other things. Who do we say he is? Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There was a a very low rumbling of that. Who do you say he is? Son of God, Jesus, my Savior. whole bunch of different answers there. Who do you say he is? This is the question for you and I today. Who do you say Jesus is? That's your question. And if you say Jesus is the Son of God, who does he say you are? My child, my sister, my brother, my disciple. Who does he say you are? He says you're renewed. He says you're reinvigorated. You're reinvented in me. New creature in me. Sons and daughters. Rejuvenated, renewed, redeemed in him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come to me. It's your choice, though. So this week, when we're, when we're out there doing what Bill talked about this morning, and we're saying Jesus is the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ is Messiah. And however you say that, whether you say, I am Jesus's and he's mine. I have his heart. He has my heart. I'm in him. Whatever you're saying, I want you, I want you to mold that question over. They can this week. Why do people not come? Why do people say that Jesus is just a prophet? Well, they can. But who's going to say the opposite? That's you and me. You and me are going to say, no, he's not just a prophet. He's the son of the living God. Let me show you who he is. Let me show you the heart of Jesus. Let me help you get to the heart of Jesus. Let me help you, let me help you see the man that I connect myself to. The man that produces fruit through me. The one that I'm connected to. Show him that tree that you're grafted into this week. When they ask you, who do you believe that he is? You say, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And let me show you this tree that can give you life too. When we're immersed into him, when we have those sins washed away. Today, if you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting there thinking, I want to know more about him, we'd love to tell you about him if you don't know If you've had your sins washed away, then start living that life and start thinking about the they cans and look for the people that that they can fit that that profile. They can leave. Let me tell you why you shouldn't. Let me tell you who you're serving, who you could be serving, who I'm serving. Show them Jesus this week. Show them the tree that is producing fruit in you this week as we stand and as we sing.